Hi there, everyone. I am Chase Raz, and this is Multi New Media for the week of October 26th, 2015. More importantly, this is episode 23, our first episode out of the backlog. That means what you're hearing this week, we recorded last week or over the weekend, and in this case, last week. Now, I want to be clear before we cover the topic we're about to jump into, which is going to be self-driving cars. We're not just covering it because it's cool or topical. We are, after all, not just some other technology show, but specifically a technology-leaning show that focuses on business, media, marketing, and education. Yeah, we, we do occasionally throw science into that mix, or, or rather it should be considered an underlying constant. That, that being science. But today, we're looking at self-driving cars from a societal point of view that will drastically impact business and the flow of money in the automotive industry and possibly even a transition from the ownership model to an on-demand model for vehicle utilization. We'll even look at what other models may emerge, although not in depth. We'll ponder what a subscription model could look like instead of on-demand and a few others uh, as well. Media will be impacted because of self-driving cars, mainly due to the sheer amount of additional interaction time to be had with screens or, or other, other media. What do you do if you commute via train or plane? Um, you basically work or play on your laptop, tablet, or phone currently. Maybe even pick up an old media newspaper or magazine. Now, marketing, well... If we look at self-driving vehicles and their impact for marketing, let's forget about billboards. Nobody will care because they'll all, all of these people, they'll all be working or playing while in their car, just like we do on the train, just like we do while flying. And this leaves us likely to push, hopefully, for more strict legislation restricting billboards uh, in favor of natural land or cityscapes, but more likely make uh, billboard advertising basically horribly ineffective. Now, all right, I know that I'm being extremely optimistic in terms of hoping for landscapes and pristine cityscapes, and uh, I don't want you to think that I'm insinuating that billboards um, should necessarily go away. I mean, as a show that addresses marketing, we here at Multinew Media aren't necessarily against billboards. We just acknowledge their practicality, and they're not all that useful beyond exposure campaigns for pretty much already sizable organizations or for local initiatives. Um, there are a couple of really great use cases for billboards and um, public uh, infrastructure facing advertising like that. But uh, again, nothing against them. But if you're driving from city to city out through um, very rural areas, most likely um, those may not be worth the cost anymore as people have their attention focused somewhere else if they're not having to drive. Anyway, let's jump in and get you up to speed on all of the details you need to know about self-driving cars, at least for right now, uh, specifically why they should matter to you, why they matter to us here at Multinew Media, and what our daily commutes may look like 20 or 30 years from now. We're going to try to be as practical as possible and uh, really paint a picture of what the expectations are, what the desired goals and timelines are, but uh, also keeping into account what's realistic. All right, let me go grab Chris Ayers. He and I are going to be talking about this self-driving car topic, and we'll be back in just a moment. I think self-driving cars are the future. They are the future. Or the present, as the case may be. 
You know, that's that's something I think we're going to have to talk about today because are self-driving cars the future or the present? And um, we definitely have a lot of news stories from the present. And I'm not trying we to have yeah. we have stories from the past. And I actually, for once, I'll admit it, did a little bit of research. You did a little bit of research for the first time ever. I am impressed. I I should cue in some round of applause here, but I I won't. No, don't, don't <laughs> do you worry. remember DARPA and their grand challenge? Um, I do. Well, of course I know DARPA, but what is their grand challenge? This was when DARPA was trying to have a like before the X Prize, like hey, let's have commercial space vehicles. They had a a challenge for autonomous vehicles to be able to like navigate a course. Ah, so it, you, you said that was before uh, the space. Yeah, one? this was back in '04. Oh, okay. And <laughs> like looking at some of the history of it, like I I remember hearing about it when it happened, and remember laughing because <laughs> it was like a 150 mile course. In the first year, the farthest one made it seven miles. Well, you know, we're seeing a lot these days that go about seven miles too. So, so um, we've made more progress. But hey, that's that's a no, good distance. No, the next to try. year, um, I think it was oh five. Six teams or five teams finished. Like the, the first year, they made it seven miles or six miles. The next year, six or five or six teams finished the the course. All in the name of progress. Hey, you know what? We should backtrack for a moment in case we did lose anyone. DARPA, remember, is the research branch of the Pentagon, and the Pentagon being the command center of the U.S. military. So we're Defense talking about advanced research projects yeah, administration. We're talking about the high tech R and D for the U.S. military. The people who have brought you a lot of our space technology. The people who brought you the internet itself through the ARPANET. Enjoy your cat videos. Uh, yeah, enjoy your cat videos. Uh, and the people who are currently bringing us robotics. So um, robotics seems to be a big uh, push of theirs right now. But but interesting to know that they were, um, you know, in the self-driving vehicle space. I, are, are, do you know if they still are? They, uh, According to what I was reading, um, by 2007, which was the last year the competition was hosted, six teams finished. And they, they changed it. Like it used to be in the desert. For the first couple years, the last year, it was like only a 60-mile course, and it had huh. city aspects where you had to merge with traffic, be stop signs, and all traffic laws. Much more challenging. Um, and then it notes that Google started their autonomous vehicle program in 2009. Yeah, you know, I think everybody knows what a self-driving car is, so let's go into that right now. Let's, let's start with answering what you just alluded to. Who is currently making self-driving cars? And I think... Um, from our primarily technology perspective for the uh, industries we serve, I think we'd be a little bit off base if we didn't start with Google, right? Well, is it who has self-driving cars now or who has announced that they will have self-driving vehicles by 2020? I think both are fair game. Because we know Google has self-driving cars now. They have people who are behind the wheel and all of those but they have self-driving cars for sure. Teslas don't have entirely self-driving cars, but they have autopilot mode. Yeah, the new autopilot update. In. Yeah, they did a firmware update, and there's people all over YouTube posting videos of these cars that can you know, stay in the lanes and follow the right distance, but then there's people who are kind of being stupid and speeding and trying stupid stuff and almost getting themselves into wrecks or hurting people. Because they're, you know, operating outside the recommended, you know, areas for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So if anybody has a uh, Tesla and is doing that, don't. Right? Don't be the <laughs> jackass that endangers the rest of us because you want to play with your $80,000 toy. Um, I've heard yeah, that's Toyota's working on uh, autonomous Lexus. I, I, says, I saw something about BMW working on. Um, autonomous vehicles for it's 2020. It's interesting that Toyota starting with Lexus. Well, I mean, that's a natural place for them to start their luxury brand or, or entry level luxury brand. But that's uh, one thing Google does. If Google wants an existing vehicle and they convert it to self driving instead of building their own, right? Um, it's a particular Lexus model that Google works with. Right. Uh, Nissan um, is working on a self driving car. Uh, I think Ford. Pretty much everybody, uh, I think. General Motors. Uh, what, Daimler? 
from Mercedes-Benz. You Audi. know, I didn't want to do this as sort of an as any type of a in the news segment, but notice how I put that inflection in the news. I didn't want to do that, but have you uh, or or any of our listeners heard uh, recently this week? Now, a full acknowledgement: I know this isn't a brand new thing, but Daimler through the Mercedes Benz brand. Um, was just announced a couple of days ago, October 2nd, I believe it was, 2015. Um, real-time traffic conditions, southern Germany, uh, on the Autobahn, A8 uh, route specifically. They went nine miles with a, um, a semi-truck, a tractor-trailer. Wow. Now, here's why this isn't all that impressive, because last year they were on the A14 Autobahn, and they did a couple of miles. I just... I, you know, so this isn't necessarily something new. It's just I think there were more real-world driving conditions in the test this year, such as um, I, I think they may have been through construction. I'm not positive on that fact, but um, yeah, yeah. So I don't know what part of the autobahn, but it says they had a test vehicle travel a hundred kilometer stretch between like two German cities. That's about I want to say sixty miles. Yeah, about sixty miles. Yeah. So. So yeah, definitely I mean, more impressive. Nice stretch. Yeah, we're definitely progressing. I mean, the original cars had all these giant sensors everywhere, and now these new ones are using all the the cameras and sensors that are just little bumps and in, in, inside the the little grooves of the car that you don't immediately notice in some cases, and and that's great when a computer inside the car is doing all this processing. But I think when we, we start networking all the cars together, that's when the true power of autonomous vehicles is going to show itself. And that telemetry is coming soon. This is a good point for me to look this up. Why did I forget to do this in research? I will look up while we're talking about this um, in the U.S. here at least, and I know Florida is one of the test sites for this. The uh, Selman Expressway in Florida is one of the test sites. Yes, yeah. Do you have information on that thing I'm about to look up? It's a telemetry communication. No, I've already exhausted my research. Uh, <laughs> but I talked with someone the other day, and they pointed out to me that the Selman Expressway, which is a, a paid toll yeah, and we've talked about that before, too. section of the road um, that's kind of elevated, and they they close the lanes, and they'll have them, you know, the lanes go north-south, and then they'll, they'll close them and have them go south-north, depending upon the traffic. So it's a section of road that's easily segmented from the rest of the flow of traffic that's just there for, like, you know, people that want to pay the extra money. And it's been, um, I think, elected as one of the test sites for vehicles that kind of transmit telemetry between each other and by telemetry for the people who, who who might not be following is you know if there's two cars on the road they send each other hey i'm here's my speed oh yeah. i'm about to break here's my position and the cars can react to each other instead of waiting on human input or waiting on a sensor to take a picture and try to process it into information to feed into its reaction engine it's getting data straight from the other cars. And I think when that happens, like you've been at a stoplight, you've seen it change to green and you're 10 cars back and you're sitting there waiting because you're waiting on the front car to go and then the second car to realize the front car went and them to go. And, and it's this chain that... That chain effect and you keep going, keep going unfolds. because this bugs the hell out of me. Keep going with right. that concept. Right. So when cars can talk to each other, and talk to the street, and talk to the street uh, lights, and, and, and the traffic lights. When the traffic light goes green, it tells the car, hey, I'm green. All the cars go at once. I just want to give a give applause Ooh. right there because all the cars go at once. Who does that not bother? I mean, if if I think if you're you know a, a fairly intelligent person and who who has given any thought to urban planning or to our infrastructure or specifically our transportation infrastructure, you have to be like us, and that has to bug you, right? You sit at a green light and you're thinking, oh my god, why can't we all just simultaneously have an agreed upon acceleration rate and not have to wait for this daisy chain to take twenty cars to get well, moving? Well, I mean, that that's an annoyance. I, I, I mean, there are people who are going to be annoyed by that. They're going to start yeah. speeding, start changing lanes. They're going to start driving like a madman. You've seen those people. They almost I, cut you off. I am and, one of those people. <laughs> you you should see my uh, my commute. Everybody knows, right? I have a very long commute to the university that I teach at. And uh, it's about 160 miles round trip. And, I, you know, I'm embarrassed about it a little bit. But I do... Um, I do all of those tactics you're talking about. I'm that jerk. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I did find it, by the way. I pulled um, we're a Florida-based show, and I love trying to promote this type of technology here in Florida. So much comes out of California and Texas when we talk about self-driving vehicles that I just got to, I have to give this plug. Um, uh, the University of South Florida, their student publication is called The Oracle. Um, I know that for two reasons. One, because I'm looking at it online right now, and two, because that's where I, I went to undergrad. Chris, did you go there? No. Um, you just live near it. I live near it. My son goes there. My girlfriend goes there. Okay. So this is from their student publication called The Oracle. Uh, basically what this is, the Tampa Hillsboro Expressway Authority, T-H-E-A, I don't know if they pronounce that over there, um, has partnered with the Federal Highway Administration, and they're going to take about a mile of the Leroy Selman Expressway, which you mentioned is in um, pretty much, I'll call it southern Tampa, leads into downtown Tampa. Actually, it comes more yeah, from yeah, the suburbs. It, it connects. Downtown uh, Tampa is southern Tampa, but... Well, for, we, for those we have who don't know, a major interstate that runs far to the east of Tampa called 75, Interstate 75. And everybody knows 75 all, all the way up to Canada. Right. And then uh, when you get slightly north of Tampa, there's 275, which kind of cuts to the heart of Tampa and runs down to St. Pete. But if you're not north of Tampa, it's kind of hard to get from 75 over to the heart of Tampa. Yeah. Um, so. There's this Crosstown Expressway that was added, the Selman Crosstown Expressway. It's a, a paid toll road, um, like I said, that kind of facilitates the travel, but it also um, has that elevated road that's segmented away from, from other vehicles that allows um, isolation, which would be necessary for testing. Yeah, and so what they're saying here is basically the University of South Florida, the Tampa Hillsborough Expressway Authority, the Federal Highway Administration, um, uh, they're all coming together, uh, specifically USF's Urban Transport Research uh, Department, to uh, basically create a connected highway. And what this is, and I'm going to quote this directly from the Oracle, and they say a connected highway is different from a regular highway in that its infrastructure communicates with connected vehicles. And that's exactly what you were describing before. The vehicles can talk to each other. They can talk to the roadway. And, you know, even more importantly... Let's be realistic. The cost of, of making the roadway connected itself is sort of the barrier. Um, I, I have heard multiple times that um, it will be a requirement in within about the next five to ten years for all commercial vehicles in the United States to send this telemetry back and forth amongst themselves, even though the roadway probably won't be involved at that time. That's one step closer. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to stop driving. But when we talk about these companies, um, would it would it be safe to continue on with Google, Tesla, and Uber? W what are our thoughts on on those companies and their involvement? Well, I I, I think that autonomous vehicles are. I think these companies are putting a lot of weight behind it because it's going to make cars possibly cheaper, safer more efficient i mean <sighs> well here's one of the things we have to go to i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna stick we, we, we can't wait to have new roads built right you know to do all this stuff so we either put some of the processing in the road some of the processing in the vehicle or put all the processing in the vehicle and wait for the roads to catch up which is kind of the route we're going yeah so how how long do you think it'll take um to where realistically somebody could hail a cab or have their personal vehicle, which is a, a conversation we'll get into in a little bit, the difference between those two models, um, and really just not have to participate in, in the commute process other than being in the vehicle. Well, I, I don't know how I feel about Uber versus taxis or you know any of those, but I think... It was Uber that said that as soon as an autonomous vehicle is available, they want to buy like 20,000 of them. Yeah, um, even more than that. So, you know, we were talking about this off air uh, a couple of days ago just for giggles, right? Not even about the show. And um, that number came up and we were we were both confused about that number. So here's what I found out. Um, Uber has their advanced technology center. Currently, they have a partnership with both the University of Arizona um, there they're doing the R&D for optic systems. And um, apparently they have a uh, an earlier partnership with Carnegie Mellon. 
they were one of the um, schools that participated in the DARPA challenge. Yeah, and and by the way, uh, I believe I could be wrong on this, but Chris Ermson, I think his name is, is the director of Google's self-driving vehicles, and I believe he has a history with Carnegie Mellon, if I'm not correct. But the point I was going to make is that Uber at this advanced technology center, um, they are prototyping their own vehicles from what I understand and I, I think they're modified existing vehicles if I do understand correctly but the CEO of Uber Travis Kalanick I can never say his name right so sorry if I'm butchering that I should know better um, but he, here's his direct quote and I think this is a little egregious he um, you know what let me not quote him directly let me get to the spirit of it it's a long quote he basically says he will buy quote unquote all of Tesla's cars <laughs> if if they can produce half a million autonomous vehicles by 2020. And see, that's the date everybody's pushing. I, I, I haven't fully figured out why 2020 is the date, but... Because 2020 is clear. I think, I really do think it's that vision. It's only five years away, man. Self-driving, it uses cameras and radar. It's that vision analogy of you don't have to watch the... I really do think they're playing on that a little bit. Well, do you remember... Um, uh, terrible movie in, in, in some respects. iRobot? I do remember iRobot, and I didn't think it was that bad. Man. Uh, yeah, remember, I remember iRobot a lot better because it's newer, but um, right. I, I don't think it was Self-driving cars. Bad. He's just sitting there reading his paper, doing his work, and the car's driving. I want that. I think we all kind of want that, <laughs> except for some of the people who think that by changing lanes, driving aggressively, they're going to save you know, tons and tons of time. Okay, now I, I admit it. I am one of those people um, in a lot of situations, not if somebody's in the car with me, not if I think it's unsafe, not if the weather, right? I do want to condition that. I'm not really that asshole, asshole who always drives like that, but. Really? I, I Really, not always. Um, really? I will admit to doing it, though. Really? But I don't believe it's for saving time. Somebody asked me once, a coworker asked me, are you an aggressive driver? Because they are as well. Are you an aggressive driver because you want to save time and get where you're going? Or is it you just don't want the other vehicles around you? And honestly, I had to sit down and think about it. It was such a profound question to me. And I think other people in that boat will relate and say, it's, I really just don't want that same vehicle in front of me for 20 miles. Um, so, you know, I would have no problem with that if I didn't have to pay attention to it. So if, if an autonomous vehicle... Packison like sardines on the interstate. Make it efficient. Let's go. All right. Um, and if you think 55 is the appropriate speed for this time, I don't care because you're going to get me to my destination without me having to uh, well, here's think the thing. about it. If there are, well, okay, there's a safety aspect. Absolutely. And as we know of, Google vehicles, Google autonomous vehicles have been in wrecks multiple times. Yeah. But according to the reports I've read, they've all been the fault of human error. And not the fault of the Google vehicle. Yeah, I don't think every self-driving vehicle has that history. But yeah, with Google and a couple of others, what we see is that it's um, drivers either abusing the system like you were talking about with Tesla autopilot users or people panicking about what the self-driving vehicle is doing and overcorrecting by correcting the system and, and thus creating an accident. Right. Um, the, the One of the articles I had read in the past said that autonomous vehicles follow the rules too well. Yeah, and, and companies and, and like Google I try to avoid it that. It was even Google autonomous vehicles had to be programmed to speed. I, like, I, I hope so. <laughs> one, of the, one of the vehicles had to be I, – I don't remember where I read it, but it was like they had to be programmed to speed to stay with the flow of traffic because otherwise cars were trying to fly around them and, and – causing issues and that makes a lot of sense um unless you go to a primarily automated transportation network right or certain highways that are designated as automated and i think that was in irobot right that that was one of the movies where it kind of says hey you're leaving this primary roadway be prepared to drive well here's what i'm thinking if well we're gonna have issues uh you know, if all vehicles are fully autonomous, and I'm sure that what's going to happen is we're going to have autonomous lanes that are for autonomous vehicles only, um, kind of like HOV lanes. Yeah. Where if all vehicles on that road segment or those lanes are autonomous, they're going to go faster 
they're communicating with each other. They're not going to have erratic driving behaviors. They're all going to be standardized. Don't you think they'd stick more to the speed limit? No, I think the speed limit's going to be higher. Because it, well, possibly, yeah. Okay, so raise the speed limit for those lanes. I think that that could be a thing. That if you're in an autonomous vehicle, there are special lanes for those cars, and they can go faster because you're not doing stupid stuff. They know where you're going. They know when to get off. They behave all the rules. They follow at safe distances. They stay in the lanes. They don't drift. They don't behave erratically. When they turn, all vehicles around them get notified wirelessly that they're turning or changing lanes or slowing down or speeding up. And all I'm, that's communicated instantly. I'm all for that. Yeah. I so, think that makes sense. In that case, you're being more efficient, you're driving more efficient, and you can travel more efficient. So, yeah, traveling does, more efficient. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. And, and I do think in the long run, when we look at it at the interstate system here in the U.S., you know, we have most speed limits range between, I mean, if you're in a city, it's going to drop below this range, but most between cities, you're probably looking at 60, 70, maybe 75 in a few areas. Um, a couple of areas in Montana, of course, that we always have to point out that are uh, just, you know, whatever's safe. Um, but it does make sense. If you can take a stretch, let's say between uh, Tampa and Orlando, and you can say, all right, we know where the major population centers between that route are. We'll slow down appropriately or maybe not, depending on the volume of traffic that day. But if you want to get from Tampa to Orlando, it's normally, what, about an hour and change drive? Yeah, can be an hour and a half. If there's traffic, it can be three hours or more. Um, but if yes. we have that efficiency, why couldn't we go 90, 100 miles an hour? Because you know what's happening infinitely in front of you, as much roadway as there is. And, um, you know, if we're safe going, everybody speeds, what, about 10, 15 over on the interstate? So if we're already going 85 on, on Interstate 4 here in Central Florida, why couldn't self-driving vehicles, if proven very well and have the uh, response... Uh, response software built in, why couldn't they go 90 or 100 easily? Well, I don't know about you, but I'm not admitting to breaking the law in any way, shape, or form. I didn't say I did. I said I drive aggressively. I said, doesn't everybody... See, I was cautious on that one. Doesn't everybody... Um, no. I have in the past, and I've paid my tickets for it. Um, no, um, the other thing that kind of goes in with this is uh, I've seen a number of articles about trying to have smart roads. Um, have you seen those? Yeah, smart roads. Um, right, some of them are glass. They're going to point are... out where there's an obstacle in the road, which would have saved me a lot of money when I was traveling in my 20s. Um, sure. Yeah, th yeah, those are interesting. Right, where they can communicate with the vehicles. So they know how many vehicles are on the road. They know where there's traffic jams. They know where there's accidents. And they can communicate that along sensors in the road to the vehicles traveling. Um, so you automatically get over into the right lane and merge ahead of time and just go. And there's no real slowdowns. Um, there's, uh, I don't know. I, I, I think that those are interesting possibilities. I don't know if one leads to the other. Well, I can I can help that out a little bit. It seems like we just need some direction on it. So let's let's take a little bit of a tangent for a moment and ask the question, why do we want this? What is it that, that you are going to do, that I am going to do, that everyone's going to do in these vehicles if we can not even have to pay attention anymore? Look at the reports on the longest commutes in the country. Look at I, – I realize why California companies are probably – high up on the list of people trying to develop this, you know, you hear horror stories about multiple hour commutes to work. Oh yeah. And home. So it, for, for multiple hours a day, if you're driving, you have to do that. Absolutely. That's all you get to do. You and know, you maybe you get to listen to an audio book. Texas is like that in new England. It's like that as well, but I, I think they have a lot more rail up there that alleviates some of that depending on where you live and work. Here in Florida, we're, what, the third most populous state now, and our infrastructure is not built to handle the 18 million people we have. Well, we don't have I do three hours a day development. We, can't, we right. don't do subways because we're so close to sea level. Right, no, no option for that. The yeah. only mass transit we have, really, is buses. And yes. we have a large number of cities that are some of the largest area-wise because we, 
we spread out. We sprawl. Absolutely. We don't build high because of hurricanes. We don't build low because we can't have basements and go underneath. We, you know, sinkholes and stuff. So we we build out. Yep, not quite as much as Texas, I don't think, but yeah, we we definitely are an offender when it comes to um, taking pristine land around a city and destroying it. We're 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 pretty efficient at that. And um, what do you think that will play in a specific? Uh, I mean, specifically, how will that play in with with Florida? So these self driving cars are here. What does our sprawl modify about this situation? I, I don't know. Hopefully it would alleviate some of the traffic issues. I mean, yeah, it, it would be really, really interesting if they're self-driving vehicles. So it, when it gets to that point, it, it, if it becomes available everywhere, why do you need to own a car? I think that's a perfect topic. Like, like, like I mean, it's kind of mind-blowing because I, 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 I've thought about moving to New York before or places where you might not have a car and you're just using mass transit. And, you know, in the south and kind of in the east, southeast more than some of the other parts, maybe in the, the middle of the country, mass transit is not really an option. And in America, as opposed to Europe, a lot of us want to own vehicles and yes. drive places. We don't want to like turn over that control to someone else we have our car we'll drive places if we have three or four people we'll drive three or four different cars and meet up somewhere we won't carpool a lot of times we'll each drive our own car somewhere imagine self-driving cars that are of this ubiquitous service i mean i'm not saying uber or taxi or anything like that just cars are available say i want to go somewhere a car drives up you get in it takes you where you need to go you get out it goes and get someone else now, like it's it's like that but automated there are some tests of that of course we know in london there are uh, at least two services one at the airport and one now in this city um uh, if we look at the uae uh, also uh, deployments there but i do want to talk about uber again because here's what i see and I think the question you're asking about ownership or not really takes us to 2020, 2030, 2040. And that's where I think we need to be focused in order to help people get some perspective of why does any of this matter right now? So if we go back to Uber for a moment, let's assume based on their valuation that they are at all somewhat serious about raising the money to buy up to half a million vehicles. Let's assume that's at all... Um, you know, their, their ballpark goal. So what if it's only 100000 Maybe they can do more, more um, by that point. Uber is very clearly signaling, hey, we're not just about people sharing a ride. We have a vision. We have a strategy. And we, as Uber, it sounds like they're signaling, we don't think everybody needs to have a vehicle. If you live in New York, if you live in Chicago, if you live in L.A., why are you trying to buy you know, an $80,000 Tesla that can drive you around when Uber can take that cost and you pay only your share of it. And there's a lot of talk coming on because of Uber, because of uh, the automobile companies themselves, that there may be a split in the future where urban areas, it's all about get rid of your car, don't buy one, just use the self-driving vehicles. And when you move out to suburban or even rural populations it's it could be much more about okay i've got some longer drives to do i want something to drive me so i will still purchase a car but i want that technology do you see a future where living in the city especially a large city international city would be why would you buy a car when there are at least several services that will do that and um, we move to an on-demand system well people already don't buy a car when they move to some major cities, like the cost of parking in places like DC and New York. Right. Just ride the train or get on the subway. Ex exactly. So those are areas where there's already mass transit and having a fleet of autonomous vehicles, you know, at your beck and call doesn't help with the environmental situation, which is why, you know, in a lot of cases we have mass transit. Well, but what if they can be deployed in electric? I mean, if we look at Tesla doing this, we look at Google, a, a lot of these are leaning towards electric vehicles. Um, and we're getting economies of scale to where these vehicles are in use nonstop constantly. 
um, possibly options for hydrogen, solar. Um, I've been hearing about fuel cells for 15 years, 10 or 15 years. Yeah, and we've uh, gone back and forth on that privately. But I, they I mean, had them. I mean, they, they had test vehicles with them. It's and we'll just, see more. We'll see some in California in 2016 from Toyota and a couple of other manufacturers. We know there are imminent releases in 2016. We'll have to see how that goes because they're so far behind the electric charging station rollout that we'll, we'll see. We'll have to see what happens there. But if these are options, any of them, whether it's electric, whether it's fuel cell uh, from hydrogen, if these are options, uh, potentially we could have an environmental impact and um, not just through efficiencies, but also through the concept of evolving ride sharing into I don't need a vehicle. Yeah. Can you see a city like Miami going to this structure, especially with its mix of urban and suburban? I, I think it it creates a different market. Like instead of owning a car or leasing a car, this, this not not a uh, timeshare, but <laughs> you, you know, you, a own, you own one eighth of a car. A subscription model. Yeah, I know what you're saying, right? So you, well, are you, actually, let me question that. Are you talking, what would the subscription model and how would that differ from on demand? Well, um, yeah, I guess, I don't know. Would you be charged per mile, per per time, like per per hour? Yeah, that's kind of how Uber's doing it now. I think per distance and time or some weird combination of that. I've, um, a couple of my students have been Uber drivers, um, and, you know, it really has underscored for me the need for something like this. You know, I'm again, I'm teaching in Orlando and I'm talking to a student who lives in Orlando um, and he's, you know, telling me about um, picking someone up and them asking, hey, do you have the time to go to Tampa? I mean, that's again, that's going to be two hours and change for that driver. Um, I don't know exactly. I mean, it's easy for us to figure out. There are a lot of Uber drivers out there that could tell us feedback at multinewmedia.com if you are one and can tell us. Um but they, you know, they're they're pretty clear with what that that is, and they're upfront about it. It's something we could look up. Okay. Meanwhile, yeah. in London, what they're doing is it's it's I believe per distance because it's a, a kind of a set route. Right. Well, the the whole Uber and London is a whole different debate. Okay. So if anybody heard us uh, kind of cut out there. Uh, and you hear a big editing gap. Sorry about that. Skype just completely um, had a moment. It had a, a likely moment. story. We were we were talking about um, uh, the possibilities. You know, it, it could have just held out a few more minutes. We we're about to the end of this segment. A poor man blames his tools. <laughs> I must be very very poor. In this case, uh, it's good to be poor because I know I know that's the truth. But um, <laughs> or or you know, I couldn't move to a paid service, but. Um, yeah, we were talking about the, the plausibility in the future of, of, you know, what are we going to do when we're in these self-driving vehicles? Are we going to purchase vehicles? Uh, are we going to let people just purchase them and we're going to pay on demand or by subscription? And I think that's the subscription or on demand is right where we let go. But can you imagine a future where, um, you know, you get a ride into a city, either driving yourself, a self-driving vehicle, a train, high-speed rail, whatever, Right, and then when you're in that city, you have no need to rent a car or buy a car if you're living there. Uh, you have not only the existing infrastructure of that city, maybe like in the Chicago, the L, or um, you know, subway in New York, but also this entire smart grid taking our entire roadways and saying, "All right, now this is a new um, smart grid, a new technology." Uh, there's, yeah, you know, this causes issues, or this makes me think of a number of things like do you really need to pay for a parking space in the city if your car can drop you off at work because it can drive itself to work can't it drive itself to a parking space somewhere else so you don't have to pay on the road or downtown yeah you know parking facilities on the outskirts of town that aren't taking up prime real estate in the downtown areas well then we go back to that energy efficiency of you know, um, if I've got to drive back 10 miles to get out of the city, is that really worth paying less in parking? I, I don't know. I mean, Tesla has the automatic little snake hook up the electric to your car. 
yeah. automatically. If, so, if, if anyone hasn't seen that, go look it up on YouTube. Watch it. It is creepy. Right. So now you have a vehicle that can possibly know your schedule, be parked somewhere remote, unhook itself from the charger, drive to pick you up, take you to work, and then go back to its charger, know you're about to get off work, come and get you, take you wherever you need. The whole so thing th- I have there is now you have completely convinced me that I have no reason to spend $80,000 on a Tesla uh, at all, ever. Uh, I, I just wait for them to do a ride-sharing program. Well, here's the thing. Cars are a status symbol. Indeed they are. So is it still going to be a status symbol? If uh, You know, we- probably, absolutely. I mean, think about that, right? What's, it, what's going to be the difference in cost? To have a Nissan. Ooh, it's gold-plated. Right, right. What's going to be the cost in a Nissan versus a Tesla and then a special model Tesla um, because you want to be able to um, get there with the, you know, or, or pick a BMW or whatever. We could go into the actual luxury cars from there if you wanted to, but because I want an absolutely quiet ride. I want this. I want that. I want this type of um, I'm an AB guy. premium I audio. I want to get from A to B. Well, but if you're going A to B to work, you may be okay with, you know, <laughs> you a may be okay with a 1986 Datsun, right? Well, that, that raises another point. Um, the day autonomous vehicles are available, all vehicles will not be autonomous. That's absolutely a concern. And there are people that love their 65 Mustangs. There are people that love their, you know... Uh, Camaros or their Corvettes that are not autonomous. Driving as recreation. I think younger generations probably look at that as, yeah, we all know the thrill of driving, but younger people, um, ourselves included in this, because we're you know we're both under forty, we don't have the experience of having a wide open road. I mean, maybe if we'd lived somewhere that wasn't as populated, but we're in Florida. We or don't know we what were a wide best friends with the sheriff. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we don't know what a wide open road is um, unless it's three o'clock in the morning and then it's even questionable. So there is not that same joy of driving. I don't choose to go spend my weekend driving around unless I'm, you know, looking for a house, shopping for shoes or getting from point A to point B. And, you know, I'm not saying that I'm representative of everybody, but I would say there are more people like me in the millennial generation and in Generation X than there are who say, I want to take my car out on the weekend and just let her rip. Too many of us commute to be like that now. So we have a lot about the future to imagine. I think this is a good pause point in this conversation. And by pause, I mean, we'll actually wrap up the conversation for this episode. But Come on, if they're pushing for 2020, you know we're going to be talking about this one again and probably uh, pretty frequently. Yeah, just like I said, remember Demolition Man. Uh, you know what? I, I want to end on a question, though. Are we going to have the average person who buys an average car now, are we going to have a self-driving car by 2020? The average person? Average person in the United How States, many 90- middle class. How many cars from the 90s do you see on the road every day? Uh, quite a few. Okay, 20-year-old cars. Right. So I assume your answer is no? Uh, you'll see one every once in a while. How many Teslas do you see now? A handful. A handful. handful. My so answer is a solid no to this. I don't think no, the average person... No, my answer is no. Yeah. By 2040, 2050, sure. Because they'll hit the commercial market. The price will be too high. Uh, certain people will buy them. Early adopters will. Slowly, those features will be incorporated into the main production lines. So, you know, the people that buy new cars or lease, they'll start getting them. Uh, so now you're 2023, 2024. Um, there are people that have cars now that are going to drive them for 10 years until they drive them into the ground. I, I drive my cars into the ground. I'm I want to try to do until- that with mine. Right. So. I'm Although gonna, my last cars. one, as you know and pick on me about, it only took me three years to drive my last one into the ground. Uh, my car's in 06. So I have a nine-year-old vehicle. Yeah. Uh, so I'm probably going to drive it another... As long uh, as possible. 
Right, five ten years. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll because, see what happens. I mean, so, uh, yeah, we're not looking for that, that status symbol. The twenty nineteen model of a car. Yeah, right before autonomous becomes available, they're mm-hmm. going to drive it at least until twenty thirty. Oh, some people will. Well, yeah, they they want that payment done, and then they want a few years off of payments before they think about another one. Uh, so, what about same time so frame? Twenty forty, I think, maybe, maybe. What about 2020, same time frame here, the ability to go to any major city, major city in the United States, nope. and have an on-demand ride? Nope. I'm going to know there as well, just like you. I'm not as adamant. I think some of the major cities, you'll be able to get pilot programs for these things, but I don't expect I don't think to, the law's there yet. I don't uh, expect There's still to, issues. Like They had to get special exemptions, I think, to drive autonomous vehicles around with drivers sitting there hands off yes yeah the law is not caught up with technology again and to be clear almost every example for the for the listeners out there for almost every example we've talked about today a driver is present in these uh self-driving vehicles ready to take over at any given point including the the germany example i gave about mercedes-benz semi-trucks um, a lot of Google vehicles, yeah, I know some of them don't have steering wheels, but the Lexus vehicles that are equipped, almost every single one of these instances, it's either on a closed track or it has a driver behind it. In fact, those two scenarios cover, uh, I'll say 99.9% of everything we're covering right now. You either have a driver ready to go mm-hmm. or you're on a closed track. We've got a long way to go, and I don't think five years is going to do it. 20? Maybe. 2030. 2040, I think things will be more interesting. Absolutely. And by 2050, I just want to teleport. <laughs> I wish. Um, quantum teleportation is pretty much like cloning. So which one of you is going to die? Ladies and gentlemen, it sounds like we have a great tangent on teleportation starting. And don't worry, I'll send you back to that in just a moment. But I do want to let you know that this concludes episode 23 for Multinew Media, Self-Driving Cars. If you'd like, go to multinewmedia.com, find episode 23, pretty easy to find, in our audio show tab and then scroll down to the very bottom where we have our comment section this is the way that you can interact with this particular episode because remember the episode may be ending but the conversation is just beginning if you'd like to get in touch with us in any other way we are on facebook twitter and several other social media sites and as always you can email us feedback at multinewmedia.com At this time, we also want to let you know that we are evaluating sponsors. If you or your business are interested in sponsoring the show and filling some of those musical breaks with advertisements or marketing of your own or some branded content, please reach out to us. Let us know. Same email address there, feedback at multinewmedia.com. Okay, you read your data on this side. They spit it on the other side. What happens to this side? Well, it's, it's deconstructed. Is it deconstructed? Yeah, it's deconstructed on... Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Is it? Yes. So you're killing yourself. Yes. And <laughs> a clone of you is now in the remote location. That's correct. And that's been addressed by almost every single major physicist on the planet. Michio yeah. Kaku, Stephen Hawking. No, I know. I'm just saying some yeah, you, are you not are, okay with that. You are essentially allowing yourself to be killed and reconstituting an exact duplicate. Well, yeah, I, I, I fully understand that that's yeah. what's going to happen. But there are some people who are probably like not on board with that. <laughs> you know, there's a, I, listen, I, just say it like the, the, there's religious issues for some people. Oh, yeah. There's, the, there's ethical issues for some petter for some people. It's, um, yeah, I don't, quote Star Trek a lot on the show. Everyone knows I'm a Star Trek fan, but there's a great episode of the Enterprise series. It's almost oh. at the very end. Uh, yeah, I know. I just said there's a great episode of Enterprise. That's that's weird. Uh, but there is, and it's towards the end of the entire, I think it's in the fourth season. And uh, supposedly there's this inventor, you know how Star Trek is. It's like, oh, this one person invented this whole thing. Um, and so that's the story they go with. There's this one guy, he invented the, the, the teleporter, they call it the transporter. And they were asking him, well, how did you get people 
to adopt this? How did you get people to be okay with it? And I love the show writers. I just, I wish I could give these show writers an award because they were so just, they glanced over it and they basically had the character say, oh, well, we just did it and waited for people to get used to it. I was like, that is beautiful. <laughs> that is probably what's really going to have to happen too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, probably. Yeah. Because <sighs> that brings up the question of you are not really you. You are just information about you. Ooh. Hey, uh, I'm waiting for the brain gate to be more popular. What is that? It is a patented technology for a brain computer interface that is currently patented. It's kind of like the matrix. Plug a thing into the back of your head. So I can just be like avatar I, I, on I Mars. I want direct brain internet access i do oh, yeah i do too I, I i don't think i would be opposed to uploading my consciousness i don't No, i've backed out of every single surgery i've ever kind of sort of needed like unless i mean if i had something that i absolutely needed to save my life i would do it but any kind of these things where doctors like oh well we ought to do this i've been nope nope but if you give me the option to have surgery to put a direct connection to, to uh you know as long as no one can hack it uh, to internet in my brain. Um, yeah, come on. I don't want porn ads popping up in the middle of work. As long as no one can hack it. That's hilarious. You know, I don't want ads for FanDuel and porn and gambling and everything popping up while I'm trying to get legitimate work done. I want a remote control chase. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> you Wait, that, constr that uh, instruction was to shut the microphone off. 